verse tonight. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Our subject tonight, and maybe even for the next couple of weeks, will simply be God is light. God is light. John, having explained to us the general aim, the general purpose of this epistle, to give his readers and to make his readers disciples that were part of the same fellowship that he and his fellow disciples were a part of, or that which they had with the Father, and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to remind us of the fullness of joy that we should have in the Lord Jesus Christ, John does something, again, a bit strange. It seems to be out of place. John proceeds to open up a thesis or a discussion or a declaration of the nature and the character of this fellowship of joy. He begins by abruptly laying down the very first and the primary condition of the fellowship of joy and this fellowship that we can have. The necessary qualification to enter into this fullness of joy. You'll notice here that he makes mention of a very powerful expression, God is light. God is light. The fundamental qualification, the necessary qualification to possess joy and fellowship is light. The fellowship, the joy that a believer can have is fellowship in light. John enlarges upon this requirement and sets out various points laying out the conditions of divine fellowship. First, he shows us where does this fellowship begin? What does this fellowship rest in? And how is this fellowship sustained? This fellowship that John's talking about is not something that's made up on an arbitrary basis. It's not something that man says, if you do these three things, you can have fellowship with God. Rather, it is a holy declaration of the necessity of the divine nature of God. In other words, there is no fellowship, there is no joy, unless the holiness of God is considered. The holiness of God, folks, does not allow any compromise upon or to God's nature. In other words, when God declares he's holy, there is no compromise that is allowed. When God declares and John declares God is light, there's no compromise allowed. In other words, the very starting point of the holiness of God does not begin with you and I. It does not begin with what we need. It doesn't begin with what we desire. And it does not begin with our happiness. This fellowship, this joy that we spent so much time talking about last week, depends upon the holiness of God. 
Now, there's really two big main ideas that we're going to build off tonight and into next week at least. The first condition of this fullness of joy we talked about last week and this divine fellowship is light. Now, again, it might seem strange to you tonight. You may say, what do you mean? How is light part of this fellowship? Again, look what your Bible says. God is light. It doesn't say God is a light. It says God is light. So the first condition of our fellowship and our joy is God and his light. That's the first condition. The ground of this first condition, in other words, what does it begin and what is it built upon, is the reality that light being the nature of and the dwelling place of God. What light describes here in this verse is not just the nature of God, but where God dwells. God dwells in light. God's nature is light. Now, again, it might seem a bit confusing. It might seem, wow, this is a deep consideration tonight. This is a deep thought. That's intentional. Because when we consider God and we consider who he is, there is no room to compromise on his nature. There's no room to declare God is less than what he's declared himself to be. In other words, if we want to understand what real divine fellowship is and what real joy is, we have to know the nature of God and where God dwells. God is light. So John gives us a solemn message as a solemn messenger. You'll see that John is connecting verse 5. It's not an isolated verse. It's connected with the verses that we've already dealt with over the last couple weeks. And what he's going to do when we get to verse 6 is he's going to take all of this and shows how verse 5 connects all of these thoughts together. So we're going to look tonight at the solemn messenger John and the message that he is declaring. Now, we probably won't get to it this week, but then we're going to look at the scope of this teaching. What, what, is, what is John teaching us about God being light? And then we'll look at the other, other purposes with regard to it. So let's first of all consider God is light as the solemn messenger. Um, if I was to give us John 14, 6 tonight, and maybe you know this, and you can probably quote it without turning there. We know in John 14, 6, John says... I am, regarding Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, unto the Father, but by me. Now, what I want to consider tonight, I want to ask ourselves the question before we even expound any further. What happens when you actually test yourself by that statement? When you consider John 14, 6, Jesus' words, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The test is this, have you truly found Christ to be essential? Have you truly, do you truly view God, do you truly view Christ as essential to getting to the Father? Is he absolutely essential or do you have somewhere in the recesses of your mind or in your heart, do you have some view of God 
which has led you to believe that you can seek for God or can find God by your own way or by your own effort. In other words, do you really believe Jesus' words when he says exclusively, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life? Again, it's not really until we test ourselves that we fully understand what are we actually agreeing to when we quote John 14, 6. What do we actually believe about God when we read it and we meditate upon it? You realize that what Jesus is saying is the entirety of the Christian faith. It is entirety because it says this, no man, no one, cometh unto the Father, but by me. He's very much declaring that there is only one way to get to the Father. And that one way is through Christ Jesus alone. Christ is telling us He is not only essential, but He is also telling us He is the only way. We cannot know God We cannot know God truly except by believing even this revelation that Jesus tests us by. So you could tonight have an idea, a philosophy about who God is, but even Jesus in John 14, 6 is declaring to us, this is exactly what you must know. Is that you do not, you will not, you cannot, get to my Father except through me. Now, this goes right along with what John is saying. This then is the message in verse 5. The message which we have heard of him and which we declare unto you. Now, let's think about John for a moment. Do you think John always had a full understanding of who God really was? Do you think the disciples from the moment that Jesus called them, do you think they fully understood who God really was? I can assure you even John had thoughts about what he believed about God. We all believe things about God. We all have certain things that we believe about God before we met him. Men and women and boys and girls have ideas concerning God. What John is really saying, this is the message which we have heard of him. John is telling us that before we met him, we had our own thoughts and ideas about who God was. That's why it's startling when Jesus made that declaration, no one, no one goes to the Father but by me. It's only when we really come to know God that we can really understand who God really is. Martin Luther put it in a way and put it as blunt as he possibly could. He said, I know no God but Jesus Christ. You see, there's something we all have to think about tonight. There's something we all have to confess. And it's a little bit startling. It's startling because our tendency is to say, I'm all right with my belief in God. My belief is strong. My belief is rock solid. 
My belief in God tells me this. My belief in God is this. But here's the trouble. What do we really believe about Jesus Christ? You see, man can assume he's all right with God. But if he's not okay with Christ and what he believes about Jesus Christ, is he really okay with God? No. Lots of people believe in God. What was Jesus testing in John 14, 6? It's not just about what you believe about the Father. It's what you believe about me. You must believe that I am the only way, the only truth, and the life. You do not get anywhere near the Father unless you come by me. You see, the problem is, is the Christian faith has it has morphed itself into something much more than that. It's turned itself into many different ways of salvation. Ultimately, what's man's problem? Man's problem has been and will continue to be is that man's thoughts of God are ultimately and sometimes very wrong. It's in our approach to God is where man begins to go astray. When man begins to say, I can approach God this way, I can approach God this way, that's where man begins to go astray. Now, why does man's view of his approach to God change? Because man starts with himself instead of starting with God. When you start with yourself, you'll immediately ignore the holiness of God. We have to start with God, and we are confined to what God has revealed about Himself in the Scriptures. In other words, we have to believe what the Bible tells us who God is, His nature, His character. God is light, God is love, God is Spirit. Notice all three of those declarations about God Himself, they do not say God is a light, God is a spirit, God is a type of love. It says God is all of those things. He is actually light. He is actually love. He is actually spirit. But what has God revealed to us in His Word? Is the Bible just a, a collection of narratives and stories that give us a great book? Or did he give us these things to guide us? Why do we know about the Old Testament and the patriarchs? Why do we know about the Ten Commandments? Why do we know about the moral law? He gave it to the prophets and he raised one prophet after another and every one of those prophets was given the mandate to preach the knowledge and the understanding of God. But do you know, it was not until really the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, robed in human flesh, never ceasing to be God. It is only then do we really come to know who God is. Now, when Jesus made that testing verse there in John 14, 6, think again what he's saying. I am the way. I am the truth. The only way we can possibly know the Father and have fellowship with the Father is to know Jesus Christ the Son. 
So what do we start with? We start with the holiness of God. Now, if you read verse 5 again with me and notice again what he's, what he's declaring here. It is so easy in the first, this first chapter of John to just barrel through it. But when you really consider what John is talking about in verse 5, you realize you can't just barrel through this. He's not just making an off-the-cuff statement. He's not just saying, you know, I've come to this conclusion. God's light. No, he's declaring the holiness of God when he says God is light. He's talking about the purity of who God is. This is not just some statement to get on to the next verse. It's, it's a little bit startling. Because remember, what's he been talking about? He's been talking about full joy. He's been talking about fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Our natural human instincts would say, well, the next thing John's going to say because of this grand picture of joy and fellowship, certainly the first thing he's going to declare about God is God is love. That's not what he does. He doesn't start with the love of God. He starts with the holiness of God. Now, that's not a minor, that's not a minor thing there, folks. Because in the world today, the emphasis is on God is love, not God is light. The emphasis should be God is light before God is love. And we're going to find out in just a moment why that matters. Our first reaction is to feel that, oh, wait a minute, John. You, you've been telling us these things rightly unto you that your joy may be full. You want us to be joyful. You want us to be happy. How is this startling revelation that you say, this is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is mercy. God is love. No, it says God is light. Now let's be honest. What would you have expected him to say? God is compassionate. God is long-suffering. God is caring. If you begin to understand what God is like means, this is one of the most amazing things and startling things he could have possibly said. He goes right to the heart of it. Now, God is light is strong. But notice it's God is light, comma, in him, God who is light, is no darkness at all. Now think about what John is saying here. Light, holiness, purity, no darkness at all. Completely absent of darkness, absent from sin. You may want to ask John the question, John, do you realize what you just told us? You were giving us this wonderful sermon. You were giving us this wonderful joy. And we're taking notes and we're writing notes down about having amazing joy, having amazing comfort, having amazing fellowship. And then you confront us with this. God is light. That's precisely the intent is to confront us because if we don't start with the holiness of God, our starting point is wrong. You say, what about the power of God? What about God's greatness? God is powerful. God is omni, he's, he's, omnipower, he's powerful. He's all powerful. 
omnipotent power. He's all-knowing. He's immutable. All those are perfectly true. But when we're talking about God, you don't even start with the knowledge of God. That's essential, but that's not where you start. And you do not start with God as a source of speculation and say, I think God is this. So what does that mean? That means when you're dealing with who God is, you do not start with God is love. You start with God is light. Now this might startle you and this might rattle your cages a little bit. It rattles mine. Because we think the best thing about God is God is love. But if God is not holy first, the God is love really has no relevance at all. Now, that is a really deep well. Sadly, what you're seeing in modern Christianity is a rejection of God is holy and rather flocking to God is love. And now the Christian message has turned into, well, God is a God of love. Now, is that true? Absolutely. Is that the right starting point? No. Because if we don't start with the holiness of God, again, we are going to have the wrong view of who God is. Now, it's not always been this way. You can go back a number of years, you can go back a couple hundred of, hundreds of years, and it has not always been the primary words coming from pulpits and pastors and preachers that God is love. No, you would have heard more God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. What's being emphasized now is the love of God. We've been told God is love and he is. And what we want God to do is we want God to meet us there in his love. Everything John has said to this point, he doesn't say anything about the love of God. He starts with the holiness of God. Now, if you know your Bible and you know the epistle of 1 John, you know later on in chapter 3, he starts talking about, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Here in his love, not that we loved God first, but that he loved us. He doesn't ignore the love of God, but what does he start with? He starts with the holiness of God. It's not just by coincidence that he starts there. We've been told God is love. We've been told God is merciful. We've been told God is great. Yet that's not the entirety of the gospel. It's probably been a long time, if ever, have you ever heard the gospel being proclaimed? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But that's just as much a part of the gospel as God is love. Now, before we start thinking about God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion, we have to examine our whole, con our whole conception of God's holiness. If I get the holiness of God wrong, I'll get the love of God wrong. Notice it doesn't go the other way around. 
If I get the love of God wrong, I'll get the holiness. No, it starts there. If I get the holiness of God wrong, then I'm going to misunderstand what God is love even means. Now, what's happened in our, what's happened in our modern Christianity is sadly, because God is love has been the narrative or has been the primary thing pushed, we have a sentimental notion of who God is. Pardon the expression, we get the feels. We start feeling things. We start experiencing our feelings and the feelings of love really are very powerful feelings. They're, they're strong and they get intertwined with our view of who God is and suddenly we start thinking about God as love and if we don't have the holiness of God that this God who is love is first and foremost a holy God, we're going to have only sentimental views of God and then when real trial comes, when real struggle comes, people turn their back and they run away from that God. Well, wait a minute, I thought this God loved you. Why would you run away from a God who loves you? Because you don't understand His holiness. That's why you ran. You say, preacher, this makes no sense to me. It might not. That's why the Spirit's got to give us this understanding. But we get this God now in the modern age who we have a God who is always smiling on you. God is always approving of you. God is always saying what a good Christian soldier you are. But that's not the God of the Bible. You see, we want that sentimental God. We want that God that is always, that feels like we feel. But the reality is, is what we've witnessed over the last couple of hundred years at least, is the Scriptures don't even start with God is love. The Bible itself doesn't start with God is love. It starts with God is holy. A couple of verses you can even just see in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 tells us, Follow peace with all men and holiness. Notice the connection here. Without which no man shall see the Lord. In order to see God, to have fellowship with this God, to have the full joy that he's talking about, there must be holiness. Hebrews 12.29 Have you stopped and meditated on this? For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. This is a direct warning against taking a slight or a flippant attitude towards who God is. Our God is a consuming fire. Again, remember, we're talking about proper fellowship. God is light. John is talking about fellowship and full joy in the light. A light that is unapproachable, eternal, everlasting in perfection and absolute in all things without sin. Light. Now, one other thing started happening that happened over the last number of years is that people began to interpret 
the word light as that just means God has knowledge. That's not what it means. It means God is pure. God is holy. Light is knowledge. Yes, we would agree with that. But light essentially stands here for the holiness of God. When we're talking about holiness, what does he tell us? He says, in him is no darkness at all. Friends, that's perfect holiness. There's not a sinful thought in him. Absolute righteousness and justice. Absolutely pure. John makes certain that we will not go astray in our interpretation by saying that in him is no darkness at all. Scripture's interpreting Scripture. That's how we know when he says God is light. He's clearly connecting light and darkness and saying in him there is no darkness. Now, it's fascinating to us as we think about this message that he's giving to us because what he is saying to us is that God is being approached in such a modern way that man is deciding how he will approach God. Can man approach God in a way that he thinks is proper or must he approach God in the way God declares he must approach? The latter is true. He has to approach him based upon the character of God. What is the character of God? His holiness. Now you could sit here tonight and we could, people all around the world could sit there and say, why is it so vital that we start with God and not ourselves? Why does my opinion matter? Why do I have to pay attention to what's being told? Why do I have to pay attention to this revelation? Why is the holiness of God more important than God is love? Well, we'll expound more on this next week, but here's the reality. If you don't understand the holiness of God, you cannot understand God's plan of salvation. If the God's plan of salvation is just based on God is love, you have a false understanding of what the gospel is. Now, that's a startling statement I just made to you. Because if you start there, and that's, all, that's where you start, and that's where you stay, God is love, you misunderstand the entire plan of salvation. If that's your starting point. Salvation is only possible through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. If God was essentially love first, then there was no need for the cross. Because all God would have to do, if God was just simply love and God was compassion and God was mercy, then the cross was a meaningless event in history. Because if God is love alone, then all he has to do when a man sins is forgive him. That's all he has to do. Just, okay, I forgive you. But do you realize God couldn't just say, I forgive you. There had to be a death. Christ had to die. See, if you don't understand the holiness of God, you don't understand even the purpose of the cross. The whole message of the cross at the very center is that without death, now this, is, this might rattle you a little bit too, without death, God cannot forgive sin. It would be inappropriate for you to say, God just forgave your sin. No, there had to be a death. That death was the satisfaction to the purity and the holiness of God. 
So what's the trouble with what we're thinking? Well, God is light and him is no darkness at all. That means he's just perfectly righteous. It means he is of such purity that he cannot even behold and look upon iniquity. There's a verse that gets often overlooked. Habakkuk 1.13. Habakkuk speaking about God. He says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Again, notice what he's saying. Thou art of purer eyes. You can't even look upon it. You see, it's not God is love that demanded what took place on the cross. It's the holiness of God that demanded the cross. If you don't start with God's holiness, the cross has no meaning at all. Now, what you're going to start seeing happening, and you're already seeing it happening in our modern theology, people start with the love of God, they stay on the love of God, and they never mention His holiness. But have we forgotten, and have they forgotten, that everything about God is holy, and everything in Him is holy, God is light. He can only forgive sin as sin has been dealt with in a holy, righteous manner, which was dealt how? By Jesus Christ's death on the cross was the only way to deal with sin. The cross doesn't even start with God as love. The cross starts with God as holy. Some of you, that might be the first time you've heard it. Some, maybe you've heard it before. But it really is what John is saying in 1 John. He's saying, before I even start off telling you anything else about how this fellowship, how this joy, how this can be attained, I want you to know something about God. God is perfectly holy. Therefore, it's essential to start with the holiness of God. Otherwise, when we start thinking about redemption, we start thinking about salvation, we don't see the point. We won't even see the point of some of the reasons in the Christian faith. But if I start with the holiness of God, I see that that incarnation, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, took on that robe of human flesh, lived a life of perfectly obedience, went to the cross. Now I start to see why the cross is essential, why I see Christ is essential, and why Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't start with the holiness of God, you don't even know why Jesus is saying what he's saying. It's important we start at the right place. Now, if you start with the holiness of God, you have to start dealing with those who claim to have fellowship who don't really have fellowship. Immediately, false professors will be exposed. Now, we are all prone to believe we're okay with God. We're prone to believe I'm fine with God, I'm approached God in the right way. John elaborates on this entire thought about how you need to be sure that your fellowship is right and acceptable to God. Now, nothing will expose that which is error more than standing face to face with a God who is perfect, perfectly holy and perfectly just. 
Now, there are people that have built up in their own mind, this is what Christianity is, this is what fellowship is, this is what joy is, only to find out God is light. It exposes them. Any fellowship we have with God has to be fellowship in the light. God is light will expose anything that's a fellowship that is being done in a false way. It also prevents us from fleeing when troubling times come. When the holiness of God becomes our starting point, when we begin there, we understand that no matter what happens to us, it's nothing that God has done unworthily toward me. Why? Because the Bible says God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You know what most people do who are just uh, false fellowship Christians? Is the minute something goes wrong, they say, God, why is this happening to me? See, when you recognize the holiness of God and that in Him is nothing but perfection, why would you ask God that question? Because you're suggesting God has done something wrong. Well, he just said God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. Whatever happens to me in this life is not a result of God doing something unholy or doing something that's not right, something that's not just. What it actually is is my wrong view of God when I question what God is doing. It's essential we start with the holiness of God because even in a matter of application and practice, the only real joy is found when you understand the holiness of God. They're not as red as much as they used to, although I thank God there is a, there's a resurgence in it, but the Puritans used to write pages and pages and pages and books of and dealt with a subject that was called false peace. And what they were saying is that they were saying there's nothing more dangerous than having a false peace with God. You think you're all right. You think your approach to God is proper. You think that God is accepting of you, and yet all is not right with God if you don't start with the holiness of God. There are such things as false peace. There are such things as a false spirit. We don't often look at it this way, but in 1 John 4, and that's going to be a number of uh, weeks down the road, but remember what John said? He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We don't often think about that as being a test towards us. Remember, I gave you the test about John 14, 6. Do you really believe what Jesus was saying? It's a great verse we can quote. You probably have it memorized, but do you really really believe the test and the qualifications is what he was saying? You realize you could have a false sense of peace. Now, the most agonizing thing for me tonight would be to make you somehow, and I can't do this, this cannot be a work of me, I cannot make you lose your assurance. And I pray to God that's not what happens when I start using terms like the Puritans said, false peace, false hope. But we are called to examine, our, examine ourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. 
to see whether we are in the faith. Are we really in the faith? And the only true way to lasting joy is to begin with the holiness of God. What is it when we truly see ourselves in the face of a holy God? Then we're humbled. We're delivered from any false peace. We're delivered from false ways. We're delivered from false joy. We see our own unworthiness and we realize we don't deserve anything at the hands of a holy God. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father but by me, we realize that Jesus Christ is the only one who can deliver me. He is the only means of my salvation. And anything I receive from Christ, truly receive from Christ, then I receive true joy. And I receive lasting fellowship. Again, John says, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. John was not teasing us by saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these Christians to bite on this and then I'm going to pull the rug out from under them. No, he truly does say there is a real joy and there is a real fellowship. But the first thing he says is if you want to know real joy and you want to know real fellowship, then you have got to be certain that you understand the holiness of God. Because the only way to understand who Christ really is is to understand what the holiness of God and who God really is. We could sit here tonight and we can say, listen, I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is the only way. I'm thankful that we've heard this message we've received of Him, John says. He's declared unto us, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. But you realize tonight that when we have to think about where do we start? Is your salvation based upon any false notion of who God is? The only starting place is the holiness of God. Now, I'd love to tell you that's the whole message. It's not. We're going to stop there for tonight. We're going to pick up again next week. But I want us to think when God uses expressions like our God is a consuming fire. We tend to always put, well, I would not want to be on the end of a consuming fire. But are your notions about God right? Do you really know the God of the Bible or a God of our own creation? That's why that test in John 14, 6 is so vitally important. It's not something we can just look at and say, that's just an off the cuff thing he said. No, he's giving us sound theology that said this is where your salvation starts. Your salvation starts with the holiness of God, not even the love of God. You realize that's what's made so much of the bad evangelism that started because people started with God is love, not God is holy. God is holy. He is light. In him there is no sin at all. That's the starting point. I pray to God He'll help us understand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have heard things tonight that are hard for us to hear. They bring us face to face to confront our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own philosophies about how we view and think about a perfectly pure and holy God. Lord, I pray that these thoughts would not escape us, that our mind would meditate upon them daily. We would look to the Word 
We would be certain. We would examine ourselves. We would try the spirits, as John says later in the letter, to see if they be real and true. May we have a view of the holiness of God that, if need be, it startles us. It brings us face to face to confront and test us as to what we really believe. And is our peace true peace? Is our joy true joy? Is our fellowship false or true fellowship? Your word says we can know. We can know that Jesus Christ is the way. But I pray the Holy Spirit would draw out and convict in us maybe those wrong ideas about who God is and his holiness. We thank you, Lord, that your word has the answer not only to every issue of life, but it has the answer to every need we have spiritually and eternally. I pray, Lord, that we'll seek the Lord's ways. We'll seek the truth. And may Christ be exalted and glorified in our hearts. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.